theyeshiva.net. So first of all, I want to thank Rabbi Rosen, my dear friend, Rabbi Rosen, and everybody of A-Time, the whole dedicated staff and leadership of A-Time. First of all, for all the work that you do for Klal Yisrael and for so many couples, day in, day out, with absolute dedication, mysterious nefesh, love. Many of you who are on the Zoom were with us, with me at a few of the Shabbatons we did together and many other Zoom events we did in the last few years after Corona. And it's really a privilege to be able to be here together with the A-Time leadership and all of you who are gracing us with your presence. And I want to thank the entire Hanhala and all of the Rabbonim and all of the Askanim and all of the women and men who are involved in A-Time for your incredible Avas Yisrael. And I know so many of you go beyond the call of duty, just to be able to be there for people, often in very, very difficult situations. And also everyone who's here with us this evening, thank you for being here. And I know that this can be a very challenging time. And that's what we're going to address. And thank you for trusting us to be able to come on. And as Rabbi Rosen said, I'll speak for approximately 30 minutes, approximately. And then we'll open up the floor to any type of question or anything you would like to share. And uh, we will be Ezer Hashem, B'li Neder, address it. Kiyad Hashem HaToyva Aleinu. So, you know, there's an expression in English, the elephant in the room. <laughs> Right? Very often we come to events and we talk about everything besides the elephant in the room. So let's re- let's go right to the elephant in the room so it can be much more meaningful and much more real and much more transparent. And the great elephant in the room is the emotional heartache and difficulty of a couple struggling with infertility during this season of Zman Cheruseinu, Chag HaMatzes, Chag on many levels. First of all, your own pain. Your sisters and brothers and parents and Zaydas and Babas and uncles and aunts preparing big zdarim for big families. And that sense of loneliness and pain gets so triggered. And then there's the very experience of Pesach, wherever you're going to be. Whether you're going to be with your parents or you're going to be with siblings or you're going to be with friends or you're going to go away. But that contrast, you know, hearing the Manishtana, you may have a sister or a brother who has Kenayan Hara, 14 children or 16 children or 8 children or 4 children or 6 children. Manishtana, Layla, Zemekala, Layla, Tatechoma, Defreg, and Defrekashis with all the Divrit Teira and the Zmiris and the Negunim and the Vertlach and the Pirushim and spilling the wine and getting upset and not getting upset and loving the Seder and getting anxious at the Seder and falling asleep at the Seder and all of this can bring up so many profound feelings and very uncomfortable feelings, awkward feelings of pain, of loneliness, of jealousy, of frustration, of resentment, of anger. Challenges of your relationship with yourselves and with your marriage and with the Rebbeinu Shalaylam and with so much more that you, every person knows, Yada Inish Benafshe. And the question I want to raise tonight is, is there a formula that we can help each other, that we can be here for each other and maybe express some type of perspective, some advice, some guidance, some mentorship in this very, very sensitive, sensitive area. Now, 
I'm going to address a few points that I sh- think can be at least a little helpful to at least some of us listening to this. And perhaps when you email, you can offer other ideas and other insights. Maybe what I'm going to say doesn't apply to everybody or can't apply to everybody. But at least I think some of these perspectives may be, may be, may be helpful. And I have to say this with tremendous humility because... I know that as much as I understand, I don't understand. And as much as I know, I don't know. And as much as I listen to, I don't get it. And although I know many of you, when I have the schus of having conversations with some of you in the past and in the present, either verbally or face-to-face or through correspondence or through email, but still, there's a certain magnitude of pain and a certain sensitivity that some of you have endured and endure that anybody besides yourselves, you and your spouse, don't know. And even your spouse sometimes doesn't even know everything. Especially those of you who have been through so many years of trials and errors, and you're sick and tired of people giving you all these types of comments and all these pieces of advice. When I was at the Shabbaton with Eitam, you remember Rabbi Rose and I, first or second Shabbaton, you know, people, many couples have shared with me, you know, all the things that people say to them, you say to you in shul and in the supermarket and at simchis and at brisin and vachnachts and upshenish and bar mitzvahs and bas mitzvahs and shevabrachas and weddings and pidyon habens and, and all types of events, you know, Shabbos and yomtif and you know, in Yiddish there's an expression the harvils zechufshtal and sometimes you hear wants to stand up from <laughs> the types of comments that people make and like where are they living, which planet they're living. So I know... I, I'm sensitive to the fact that as much as I know, I don't know. And I say this because as an introduction, I ask forgiveness that if anything I'm saying really doesn't apply to you or may come across maybe as insensitive, I apologize in advance because I really don't know everything. I know just a little bit that you shared with me and from that place I want to share. And I share it as a brother to brothers and as a brother to sisters as I would share it with my very own brothers and sisters and my very own close friends because Kol Yisrael Chaveinim, Meloshen Chibur, we're all connected and we're all integrated. And as it says in Yerushalmi, Mesech Nadarim, all of Kol Yisrael is one body made up of many limbs and organs. And the Baal Shem Tov once beautifully said, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazah. Arevim Zebazah is a Gemara in Shavuos, and it means all Jews are responsible for each other. We are guarantors for each other. But the Helika Baal Shem Aleinu said, Arevim also comes from the word Me'urav, meaning we're integrated, we're interconnected, we're one guf, we're one entity, like it says in Tanya Perig Lev, all Yidna are one Eshama, Raksha HaGufim Michalak, but it's really one Eshama, it's one, it's a Chelik Elikami Mal, and Hashem is indivisible, Klal Yisrael is indivisible, Ani Hashem Loishanisi Vatamida Yaakov Loichilisan, Elamai, a piece of Hashem, Kivayachal, goes into different bodies. So really, when I love you, I'm loving me. And when you love me, you're loving you. Because because it's really a Kamaycha. So the Bosham said, Arevim means we're integrated. And he said, Arevim also comes from the word sweet. Sweet, this. So he said, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazah. All Jews are mixed up and integrated with each other. And therefore, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazah. Yidin Zainin Zis Eine Badamandaren. 
One Jew, a real Jew, when you experience, see another Jew, you experience a sense of sweetness. And therefore, and therefore we're responsible for each other. So it gives us the real pnimius, the nesham of what Arevim Zebazem means. And therefore, we're all interconnected. And hence, I begin my comments on the question of experiencing Zman Chirisenu to the best of our ability under the circumstances that so many of the people here this evening are going through. The first thing I want to say is, and I think this is a very, very uh, important idea is, it's called boundaries. Boundaries means, and I'm going to just say it very bluntly because I don't have so much time, so I'm going to try to be blunt. Boundaries means you have to protect yourself. You have to know where you belong and where you don't belong. And Mekanesh Tansen of Alechasanas, and you can't be Yitzhak for everybody. I don't know if anybody understands these Yiddish expressions, so I'll explain it. You can't be everywhere and you can't please everybody. The most important obligation you have is to you and to your spouse, and you have to protect yourself. As I shared with you at eight time events, and I think this is very important, you know, people have told me they go to Hasanas of nephews and nieces, and the aunts and the Baba wants you to stay till four o'clock in the morning, till the end of the mitzvah tans. But sometimes emotionally you can't. And it drains you and it kills you. And it's very important to have boundaries, to know where you belong, where you don't belong. You cannot please everybody in the world. People who really care for you, you have to explain to them your predicament, your challenge, and if they can't respect it, then they probably don't really care for you. And if they really care for you, they'll honor it and respect it. And somebody who really doesn't care for you, you don't have to explain everything you're doing. But my, my, this is the important message. You know, sometimes, over Pesach, you're in situations, and you have to know if it works for you, if it doesn't work for you. If it doesn't work for you, you have to create boundaries. And the people who care about you, explain it to them. So what does this mean practically? This means practically that if there's a Pesach event that's going to be too difficult for you to attend, maybe you want to come for five minutes, maybe you want to come for 20 minutes, maybe you want to come for half an hour, but maybe after that you have to leave. You have to know what works for you and what doesn't work for you because your emotional well-being is, comes first. And maybe this doesn't sound like a very Jewish thing, but it's extremely Jewish. We cannot be there for other people if we are if you are tzushmetet, if you are broken and shattered, if you don't take care of yourself physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, you're not going to be able to function. You're not going to be able to go through the treatments that many of you are going through. You need to have stamina. You need to have stability. You need to protect your own energy. People make a lot of comments. Sometimes these comments are really insensitive. Sometimes these comments are unwise. Sometimes these comments are sheer are a reflection of sheer folly and foolishness. Sometimes clueless. People sometimes mean very, very well. Have they done as kaladim lakavschos? I'm sure many people mean well, but sometimes they just don't know what to say. They don't know how to say. They don't know how to deal with their silence. And things come out. And I want you to know that it's important for you to be able to have those boundaries, to know which comments you take seriously and which comments you just smile and you say, thank you very much. And then it's easy because you could let things go without internalizing them. Which I want to, which now brings, brings me to another point. There's a therapist I know here, he told me that there's a couple that the husband and wife have a very, very hard time going to her parents for Pesach. Why? Because the Shver and the Shviger make them both Meshug. And every few minutes they have comments. You do this and you'd have to raise your kids, you don't know how to raise your kids and you don't know how to behave this and that, that, that. 
So they wanted to stop going, but she doesn't want because her parents are going to be very, very offended. So the therapist gave them good advice, and I like the advice. He said, before you go there for Pesach, take a piece of paper and make a list of everything your father-in-law and mother-in-law are going to say that's inappropriate. <laughs> and then you'll have a checklist, or after Pesach, you'll check off. And when it happens, in your mind, you'll have this list, and you go, check. Check, 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 check. So what happens is, it became a fun activity that when the father-in-law, the mother-in-law said something stupid, (laughs) they looked at each other and they smiled. Instead of getting resentful, they smiled. I want to say that to you also. Maybe it's not a bad idea. You're going maybe to a place where there's going to be some complications. Prepare before all the smart comments that people are going to say. And then when they say it, you could look at each other and do check, 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 check. I know on Shabbos, Yom Tov, you don't make checks. And Chalamayid also, you have to be careful with the halachic questions of writing. You'll ask your Rav and Paisik. But the point is, you'll have an intellectual check, a mental checklist. On paper, it's not such a bad idea. Which brings me to another point. And this is what I want to emphasize here, which is the general point here. In Hebrew, they call it gvulot. We call it boundaries. Bagrenetz again. And that is, it's very important, before you go into a Seder, and there's going to be a lot of, lot of children, to be able to focus on your own relationship and talk over what's going to happen. In other words, yes, jealousy may come up, anger may come up, frustration may come up, resentment may come up, things may be difficult. But if you can really brace yourself and realize, yes, these are all normal emotions. You would have loved to have five children. You would have loved to have 10 children. You would have loved to have one child. You would have loved to have three children. Whatever it is, I know different couples in different stages of life. Honor these emotions. You're a human being and you're going to see all this. And you're a person. You're not a malach elikim. You're a person. And because you're a person, this is going to come up. Don't get upset at yourself. You have enough pain in your life. Don't get upset that you're a human being. And when you see a hundred nephews and nieces and cousins and relatives and third cousins and second cousins, it may be hard for you. Okay, so you're a human being. But the most important thing is that you should be able to have empathy and compassion for your emotions. And I say this again protect yourself you need to have boundaries which means if a certain situation is too hard maybe it's time to get up and say okay i think we have to go you don't have to be yoytze for the whole world make sure it works for you and if something is too hard for you or too difficult for you do not be embarrassed to say i really cannot go to this place which brings me to another point and that is your marriage has to be very strong on pesach what do i mean husbands and wives don't grieve in the same way Everybody grieves in their own way. Everybody experiences pain in the same way. Let's face it. Husbands often don't understand how painful and difficult some of the treatments the women go through. Right? Even though they drive them and you wake up three in the morning and four in the morning, but sometimes there's certain procedures and certain preparations that you don't understand what the other person goes through. Sometimes the man doesn't understand what the woman goes through. Sometimes the other way around. And that's fine. But the important thing is that we have to communicate and we have to be here for each other and we have to respect each other. Because when a marriage is going through a difficult time, the worst thing that can happen is that the marriage suffers. Because when you're not together supporting each other, it's so difficult to deal with the curveballs. It's enough. The pain of infertility is powerful enough. The pain of not having your spouse respecting you and honoring you and creating space for you makes it so much worse. I want to encourage all of you, especially now, It's important not to agree about everything. You don't have to agree about everything. But communication, communication, communication. Let every woman feel that her husband has her back. Even if you don't understand everything she's saying, but you listen, you empathize, you respect her point of view. And let every husband feel that his wife has his his back. 
that even if you don't agree with them, you can discuss things, you can argue, but make sure that at the end of the argument, the relationship is intact. It's not so important what the conclusion of the argument is, whether he wins, whether she wins, whether you both win, whether you both lose. But as I always tell couples, even if one of you comes out right and the other one comes out wrong, if the relationship suffered because of this argument, both of you lost their argument. Because the most important thing in a marriage is not what you decide to do for Pesach. It's that whatever you decide, you're on the same team. I don't care if you're going to his parents. I don't care if you're going to her parents. I don't care if you're going to a hotel. I don't care if you're staying home yourself. You're going to a brother, to a sister, to a machut, whatever it is. But whatever you do, just make sure that the relationship is strong. And that means we have to work on it, take walks, cry to each other, laugh to each other. Now, I may not be feeling everything you're feeling. You may have had a very, very hard night and you're overwhelmed. I'm not, fine. But listen to her, listen to him. Let each one feel that the other person can be an empathetic container, an empathetic witness to your emotions. I cannot emphasize how important this is in every marriage, especially in a marriage that's going through something so challenging that very few people outside of your marriage understand. It's so important that your marriage becomes much stronger. Which brings me to the next point, and that is, not everybody deserves so much mental space. Sometimes people say things that are stupid. You have to learn how to smile and just let it go. They're not worth you going home and becoming miserable for two days. Yes, you have an aunt who does not get it. You may have a mother who doesn't get it. You may have a sister-in-law who doesn't get it. They don't get it. I'm not judging them. I'm not blaming them. Some people get it and some people don't get it. That's how it is. I was once at a shiva house. The husband died because he needed a heart transplant. And his wife pushed him to get it. And the surgery was unsuccessful, and he died during the surgery. He was a young man. He was 60 years old, relatively young. I went to the shiva. I knew the man. And I went into his wife to be Menachem As I come in, another woman sits down, looks at her, and says, you must regret the fact that you forced him to get a heart transplant. And all I'm thinking is, wow, this woman is a genius. How did she have such goodness to know that this woman regrets it? And then I realized, you know, (laughs) she's just living in her own world. And whatever she's thinking, she's saying, right? And, And she may even mean, well, I don't know. Maybe she felt that the widow wants to talk about it. I'm not judging people. I've learned not to judge people. But you have to realize, some people... Or they don't have so much empathy. And you know what? They don't deserve to make you miserable. So if somebody says something at the Seder and starts giving you zgulas, so if it's again, if it's a good friend, you could tell them not now, or you can explain to them that it's inappropriate. And if it's not, you could say, Yeshikayach, thank you. Amen. Amen. We'll talk about it another time. And maybe we have to go now or not. But choose, find out whose comments you take seriously. Whose comments? Weitigegeingen. Weitigegeingen is an important comment. Which now brings me to another point, which is maybe more central and fundamental about this whole sugya. The way I want to present it is, it's an idea and I think it's an important idea. There's a famous medrash. Maybe it's not so famous, but it's famous to some people. It's an Eicha. The Pasuk says, Yirmiya Novi says, Chelki Hashem Amra Nafshi. 
my nefesh, my soul says, Hashem is my chelik, Hashem is my part. I want to give a parable. Moshal Amalek, there was a king who came into a country. The king had dukes, governors, and military commanders. They all came together with the king. And the great people in the country got into a debate. One said, Anon Nasiv Duchsin. One person said, I'm going to choose the duke as my patron, as my protector. The other one said, I'm going to choose the governor. And the other one said, I'm going to choose the military commander as my patron. I'm going to cultivate a relationship with him. There was one wise person. And he said, I'm going to choose the Melech. Not the general, and not the governor, and not the duke. I'm going to choose the Melech. And he explains, everyone else is exchangeable. The Melech is going to keep his job. So the Tzemach Tzedek. Great, the holy, the Tzemach Tzedek, the Rebbe, the Tzemach, whose yard set is Yud Gimel Nissen, together with the Beis Yosef. Beis Yosef's yard set is also Yud Gimel Nissen. Tzemach Tzedek asks a question. He has a sefer called Beyure HaZoyar. So he asks a shayla. Gewaltik a shayla. He says, You have to be so brilliant and wise to be able to say, I'm going to choose the king instead of the duke, instead of the governor. What, what? What's the, he says, even a fool understands that the Melech is greater than everybody else. If you can cultivate a relationship with the king, why should you go to the duke? Why should you go to the military commander? Why should you go to the governor when they're all hired by the king? And even if they have, he says, because they, they, their job can be taken away. And even if their job is not taken away, how do you compare? So he goes into a very, very interesting explanation. But I want to bring out one nekudah of what's explained about this, that the, really the Medrash is saying something very deep. And that is that Hashem has dukes and he has governors and he has generals and everybody says, I want a relationship with them, besides the Pikeach. The Pikeach says, Anonos of Malka. I want the Melech. What does this mean? So the Taich is, and it's very, very subtle and very, very deep. What does Avaidus Hashem look like? What does serving Hashem look like? We often make a mistake. This one chooses the duke, and this one chooses the governor, and this one chooses the military commander. The Jew says, Chelki Hashem Amranafshi. Ano Nosiv Malka. What's the difference? The difference is each of these characters and personalities represents a certain shtel, a certain manifestation of the koyach of the melech. But it's not the melech himself. The melech himself is something very different. And it takes a lot of chachma, it takes a lot of pikchus. There's an expression of the Balatanya, the Balatanya once said, Mili Ich will ze garnished. Ich will nicht dein Eulam Hase. Ich will nicht dein Eulam Habe. Ich will nicht dein Ganeden Elion. Ich will nicht dein Ganeden Atachten. Ich will manage das dich allein. I want only you. I don't want this world. I don't want the next world. What is he saying? What is, what is he saying? Hashem made Ganeden. Hashem made Eulam Habe. Hashem made Eulam Hase. What he's saying is, it's very easy in life to get distracted even by spiritual goodies. It's very easy. Practically, it means. 
we often have an image. What does it mean to live a good life, to be a good Jew, to serve Hashem? But you know what? It's all a distraction from what Hashem really, really wants from me. The most important avoid in life is to be able to realize what is my shlichus right now at this moment. What does it mean to have a relationship with Hashem now? And it may not look like what everybody thinks it looks like. It may look very different. And the greatest example is Esther. Esther was an unbelievable valedictorian graduate of Baisiakov, Baisruchel, Baisuda, Bnoisian, Baisrifke, Neve, Shalamis, Bruria, all the best schools. Baishana, I don't want to miss anybody. I said Bnoisian, Ripshal, okay? It's for Babith. Gvaldik. And where does she end up? She ends up with a drunkard, Meshugane, Gentile monarch of Persia. The Chasher Avadati Avadati, the famous Rashi. What does Mordechai say? Esther doesn't know. How did I end up here? I was supposed to create a beautiful Jewish family, the nicest family in Borough Park, or Muncie, or Lakewood, or Bnei Brak, or Yerushalayim, or Kiyasefer, or Golders Green, or Stamford Hill, or Chicago, or Toronto, or Montreal. Most beautiful, beautiful family I was supposed to create. Mordechai says, it's beyond das. How do you know why you came to the world? Maybe you came to the world to save Klal Yisrael by becoming the queen of Ahasuerus. And this inspired Esther to go outside of all of the religious trappings of what Yiddishkeit looks like. Sometimes we make this mistake. And this comes with a lot of pain and a lot of awareness. We have an image. What does it mean to be a good Jew? What does it mean to celebrate Pesach? What does it mean to have a beautiful Seder? And we have an image, right? All the kids sitting around the table. I have a great word to say. Yes, my tired Amotala. Some soifer asks a question. Ah, beautiful Seder. Nachas, 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 nachas. And I say to you, that everybody has to ask a different question. What's the Seder that the Rebbeinu Shalom wants from me? It's a very different Seder. It may look like... I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me. It was such a meaningful story, I can't even tell you. And Bahashgocha, it's a story that helped thousands of people. I'm going to tell you the story. It was a few years ago. A little before Pesach, I was invited by single moms who are divorced to have a meeting with them before Pesach. And we met in Brooklyn in the music, Jewish Museum. So around 20, 30 single moms who were divorced, some of them for many years. They raised children themselves. And they spoke. I spoke. They spoke. They asked questions. One woman tells me, she says, heart-wrenching. She has an ex. She got divorced. They have four kids. And he's a narcissist. He has narcissistic personality disorder. I don't know him, but that's what she said. And she, he drives her crazy. They have a system, a, a rotation for yamtif. One yamtif, he gets them. One yamtif, she gets them. She was supposed to get them for next Pesach because he got them for Sukkot. Great. She cleaned the whole house. She has a house. She cleaned the house a month. She bought all the food for the seder because she's going to have four kids for Pesach. She was very excited. Another beautiful seder. The kids are a little older, so they're going to have a whole seder. It'll be beautiful. Gavaldik. She has already bar mitzvah boys. 
And they'll, they'll celebrate Pesach together. And you know what it is to prepare a house for Pesach? She does B'dikas Chometz, and she buys the Mora, the Chazeres, the Matzah, the Karpas, the Alagotazachin, the Haggadah, she cleans the house, she has new dishes, cutlery, kashas, whatever she has to kasha. The house is set up for Pesach. Glantzadik, it's a beautiful house. A half an hour before Lichtzinden, he calls her up on the phone, and he says, I'm sorry, but because of different complications, I won't be able to bring them for Yom Tif. And his house is too far, so even with a taxi, he lived like an hour or two hours away, so already after Yom Tif, they won't be able to come. This is what he did to her. She told me, it was a few minutes before Lichtsenden, I dropped the phone and I was about to faint. I worked for two months to prepare the house for Pesach. And the kids are not showing up. She said, I was so embarrassed, I was so humiliated, I was so depressed, I couldn't even call my neighbors or my friends or my relatives to have the Seder with them. I just couldn't, I didn't have Kayach. I lit the candles and I just broke out sobbing. I'm like, what do you want from me, Rabbi Nishalayla? And then she tells me, I sat down to do the Seder after nightfall. And the Seder took me around 20 minutes, 25 minutes, from Kaddish all the way till the end. I just went... And I finished the Seder, and I felt so miserable. And she looks at me, and Ayidah Fraga, listen to this. She says, Rabbi, why, why? I don't even know if it was a real Seder. I don't even know if the Hashem accepted my Seder. You think it was a real Seder? I was so sad. I was so angry. I was so, I was so frustrated and infuriated. I don't have words. I couldn't... I, there was no Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And she says, I was all alone by the Seder. There was nobody there. It was so lonely. She says, there was nobody there. Manishtana, Vadimayinu, Matzah, Morer, Koyrech, Shulchanoyrech, Afikoyman, Halal, Eliyohanavi. Nobody there besides me. A 20-minute Seder. And I went to bed, and I just fell asleep in my misery. She's looking at me, she's crying, all the women are crying, I'm tearing. And I'm like, what can I tell this woman? What can I tell her? And then something just popped into my mind. You know when something pops into your mind? I really did not expect it. I didn't think of it, it just popped into my mind. Hashem just put it in my mind. And I said to her, I want to share something with you. That happened when I was 15. When I was 15 years old or 16 years old, I grew up in Crown Heights. I grew up in the presence at the feet of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memories, Echet Tzadik Levrocha, whose anniversary of 120th birthday is tomorrow night, Yeralof Nissen, born in Ukraine, Ukraine, 1902. So 2022 is 120th anniversary. In, they had no children. As you know, the Rebbe and his wife were childless. She passed away in 1988. His wife was 86 or 87. The Rebbe was around the same age. I think he was a year younger than his Rebbe. Her name was Chaya Mushka. She was a daughter of the Rayats, the Rebbe Rayats, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe. They never had children. He always had to say that just with his Rebetzin, alone, nobody else. When his father-in-law was alive, when his shriga was alive, he would have the Seder over there. But after that, when his 
when his shviger passed away 20 years after the Nats, the Rebbe would have a Seder alone. There was a, a Gabbai there, a Meshamash, his name was Gansberg. His name is Gansberg. He would prepare, and he would have the Seder themselves. Now, the Rebbe's wife passed away. The question is, who is he going to do Seder with? The Lubavitcher Rebbe, the great Lubavitcher Rebbe. So one of his secretaries, Rabbi Groner, Oliver Shalom, thought he'll be there by the Seder. Or one of the other Mishamsha will be there just to be Ayid Zolzai by the Seder, yeah? It's two people. The Rebbe sent everybody home. <laughs> he sent everybody home. Now, the Rebbe had this little office, this little room, and that's where he lived after his wife passed away till his own illness and passing. So it was this little tiny room. He did a Seder all by himself. There was a boy, Ari Halberstam. You remember he was killed on the Brooklyn Bridge. He lived on Eastern Parkway on the same block, same street of 770. So he asked the Rebbe, the name of his mother, if he, if he could come to them for the Seder because they worked in the Rebbe's house. They helped his wife. He, he said, thank you, but no, I'm going to stay here. I was a bachet and I was around. And personally, I felt sad. I'll tell you why I felt sad. There was nobody who was responsible for making so many public seders in the world that every Jew, the most secular Jew, should have a seder like the Lubavitcher Rebbe. From Nepal to Hawaii. From Moscow to Tel Aviv. From San Francisco to Peru. From New Zealand to Tokyo. In every place, he sent people to make Zdorim so that every Jew should have a Seder. Everybody should have a Seder. Everybody should have a family where they can come to celebrate Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. Because every Jew likes to do a Seder. Fruma, Nishkin Fruma, wherever they are. And they make, because of the Rebbe, there's thousands of Zdorim in the world and every Pinner Rechaik in the world is a Seder. I myself, when I was a Bacha, I was sent to Kobe, Japan to make a Seder. Kobe! <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of it. We had close to 300 Jews by the Seder. Jews who would not have a Seder. They ate gefilte fish and they ate matzah balls. I wasn't makbed with them on gebrachts. And we had an amazing Seder. But that's not for now. And I thought to myself, isn't it sad that this person has nobody by his Seder? It just felt weird. It felt so strange. And that's how every year until the Rebbe's passing, he did a Seder himself. He would come out for Leo Anavi himself all by himself. And I told her, I never knew why. And now I just realized, Amanag Yisrael has to feel and experience and care about every single Jew in the generation. And maybe the Lubavitcher Rebbe knew that one day there's going to be a woman who's going to be all alone by the Seder. And she's going to feel that her Seder was meaningless. And that's why he had to do a Seder himself. And I looked at her and I said, Maybe to teach us that even when you do a Seder all by yourself, it's a Seder. Hashem is there, the Shekhinah is there, Moshe Rabbeinu is there, Klal Yisrael is there, and Yitzhiya Mitzrayim happens. Because I told her, trust me, that the Rebbe as a Seder himself in a little room, trust me, it was a real Seder. Trust me, he left Mitzrayim, to teach you that your Seder was as significant. Nirza, the Rebbeinu Shalalem was there by your Seder. And it gave her so much comfort. But then, a year or two later, Corona came. And with Corona, as you know, 2020, two years ago, Tavshin Pei, so many people were doing a Seder by themselves. There was nobody there. 
My mother, my father passed away. My mother always comes to one of the kids. But Corona broke out in March 2020, you remember? So everybody was afraid. Nobody went to anybody else. I don't know, maybe in some communities they didn't listen. But in many communities there were mothers, babas and zaydas, widowers, widows, who had nobody at the seder. Nobody. Mamish nobody, and they were alone. Mamish alone. And right before Pesach, a yid from California who heard the story for me, wrote it up and he sent it out. And it went viral. Maybe some of you saw it. And I got, I can't tell you how many messages I got from older people who could not go to their children, could not go to their siblings, could not go anywhere else. They were stranded alone. Sometimes people alone, women, men, they say that alone, they said it gave them so much chizu, it gave them so much comfort. I share this story with you because it taught me a lesson. We don't know what a Seder is supposed to look like. I don't know. There's a seder that has a hundred people. The seder that has twenty people. It's beautiful. The Lubavitcher Rebbe seder, one person himself. This woman seder, one person herself. But the question is not what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like exactly what it looks like. And this is a paradigm shift we each have to make in our lives. Each of us have things that do not look the way other people expect it to look. But we cannot fit the Rebbeinu Shleilam into a box. What is Pesach supposed to look like? Exactly what it looks like. What is Yitzhiz Mitzrayim supposed to look like? Exactly what it looks like. Anonos of Malka. Don't get stuck in images of Yiddishkeit because those are all subtle forms of idolatry. This one has to... This one makes this image of the Rebbeinu Shlelem. These are all images. What's my shlichus in the world? What's my mission in the world? Whatever it looks like. Whatever it is. We sometimes compare ourselves to others. This is not a real Pesach. This is not a real Pesach. And I say to you, the Rebbeinu Shalom should help that next year Pesach you should be in a different situation and under different circumstances and everybody should experience all the Yeshua's B'teva Ulamayla Medarech And I have to announce, probably you know that in when, here I think Wednesday, maybe you spoke about it, we had a great miracle in Muncie and I know how much time was involved. I think the first Jewish boy born with a uterus transplant, I think Ripshol, this Wednesday, right right here in Muncie, a woman who married a widower and married her four kids, and Alpiteva, she could not have a child. And this Wednesday, she had a healthy child because of the uterus transplant, a new t- medical technology, and I think it's the first time a Jewish boy was born. So there's incredible, incredible opportunities, and every one of us should be blessed in every possible way. But I say, till that moment, let's not define what Yiddishkeit is supposed to look like, what Avodah Hashem is supposed to look like, what Pesach is supposed to look like. Wherever I am, this is the moment that I can suck the marrow out of life. What does Hashem tell Moshe? The place where you're standing is holy. Every one of us has this burning bush. I want this thing. I want this thing. Hashem says, The great challenge is to be able to find the Kedusha, the opportunity, the Shlichus, where I am right now. Esther, maybe in another lifetime, something else will happen. And when did the meal of Esther happen? When did it all happen? It happened in Pesach, right? Imagine the whole world is celebrating a Seder actually that year. They were fasting and Esther is busy having a party with Haman and Achashvedesh. What did that look like? The Gemara discusses it in the first Pedic of Megillah. 
Esther is feasting and parting with Haman and Achashverosh. The Gemara says everybody looked at her and said, "How shameful!" A Yiddish Maidel Hatzach is drinking wine with Haman or Russia drunkards when her nation is about to be killed. Nobody knew the truth. The truth is, she was fulfilling this one shlichus that she had from the Rebbeinu Shalom that was different than every other Jewish woman in the world. And that was to sit on Pesach with Haman and Achashverosh. Not with Yankel and not with Motl and not with David and not with Tzaddik and with one Tippish and another Rosh Marusha. Why? Because her question was not what God can do for her. Her question was what she can do for God. Her question was not what everybody can do for her. Her question is, what is my mission? What is my shlichus? I say to you, my dear friends, and that's what I'm going to finish with. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of grief. And everyone has different ways of dealing with it. But one of the things that makes it so much harder is when we have these distorted expectations, what it means to be a good Jew. When we start feeling guilty, Hashem is punishing me. He's not punishing you. Get rid of the guilt. It's not about guilt. We don't know the journey of an Hashemah. We don't know the shlichus of an Hashemah. We don't know what a Seder is supposed to look like. You know, somebody called me. He has a few children who have left Yiddishkeit. And they're coming home for Pesach. And he's a good guy. And he wants to have an Ehrlich, a beautiful Chsidisha Seder, Ibezagin from Divrei Yoyel, Um from Yismach Moshe, Um from the Heilige Chsam Seifer, Um from the Heilige Chsav Seifer, Um from the Neuem Elim Melech, Um from Gdushas Levi, Um from Eura Meir, Um from Svas Emes, Um from Prit Sadik, Um from Kess, Allegitta Heilige Svorim. That's what he wants by his Seder. That's what he wants. But his kids are not interested, but they're coming. And I told them, my Tayyid listen to me. All the mitzvahs, the night of the Seder that we do, we drink four cups of wine, we say the whole Agadah, we mesubin, mit marir, mit alts, it's all the Rabbonans. but it's a Rabbonan. The one mitzvah that I say is, Be'erif Toichlo Matzah, to eat matzah. And the other mitzvah that, and even that is a machlaikas, but la'aloch is da'iraisa. But l'chol ha'deyes, there's one mitzvah da'iraisa. One. You know what that is? V'higadatolabincha. To talk to your child. So that's it. Just connect to your child. That's your mitzvah. Nishkin zogin toiris mit. Forget about the atmosphere. Just hang out, connect to your child. He says, but they're not interested. I said, you go to their level. Prepare good jokes, prepare riddles. I said, watch some of my funny clips and give, I don't care. Just connect, just bond. Give them a warm fatherly experience. He couldn't accept it. You know why? Because he's married to the dukes and the governor and the military commander. Anonosiv Malka. Stop asking what everybody else and even what I think Yiddishkeit is. Ask what the Rebbeinah Shalom thinks Yiddishkeit is. And you know what it is? Get down from your ivory tower and bond with your child on his terms. That's for him his shlichus. Now I ask you, what's your shlichus? What's my shlichus? It's a different mission. It's a different shlichus. When we go out of the zone of expectations and we open ourselves up to Ma Shemalakecha Shayal Meimach, you'll see great things will happen. 
you'll actually be able to enjoy the evening. You know why you'll be able to enjoy it? Because you won't be focused on the frustrations of what things were supposed to look like. You'll be able to tune into the opportunity with serenity, with menuchas hanefesh, and ask not what things were supposed to look like and they didn't turn out that way and this dream was shattered. But ask, this night of Pesach, what does Hashem want right now? Bond with the person near you. Connect. And together, go out of your own Mitzrayim. What does it mean to go out of your own Mitzrayim? To go out of your own Mitzrayim means each of us has our traumas and our wounds that hold us down. Just to open ourselves up and to realize you're infinite. To realize you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're amazing, you're a mamish, you're infinite. And to be able to support each other and celebrate each other's lives with a good attitude, with a good disposition, with good character. As I told this woman, the Lubavitch Rebbe sat alone in a room, no children, no wife, nobody. I told her, by you was also Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. I bless all of us that this Pesach, wherever you are in life, you should be able just to be intimate with the moment, dveikus, without any other cheshbainis, just to celebrate what is. I know it's hard because our brain races, especially if you're surrounded by a big family with comments. But you be one with Hashem, you be one with your spouse, and talk about this, and connect to this level of emesdekite, of pnimius, Ano nosiv malka. Ano nosiv malka. I choose the king himself. No trappings, no images, no structures. Ano nosiv malka. Whatever it looks like, it looks like it doesn't have to look good for anybody else. The one person that has to look good for is Emes. Chaysamish la Kaddish Baruch Hu. Emes. Mitoich sheyadu shamiti hu laikizvu by a famous Gemara in Yumis Hamachtes. The Eibushtazal that each and every one of you should have a yomtif that is personally meaningful and uplifting and inspiring, together with even though there's a lot of pain and there's grief. And as the Navi says in Micha, everybody should be able to see Nifloyas in your own lives. The Gemara's famous expression, which means not just Nifloyas up there, but Nifloyas down there. Thank you very, very much for listening. And I guess we'll open the floor to questions. It's such a it's such an important question. There's no bincha. Who's the vigadatalavincha to? And I think it's so important to remember this. I'll say it I'll say it a little philosophically, but I don't mean it philosophically, I mean it emotionally. The Meshachma writes in Parshish Kisisa, why did Moshe break the Luchas? Why break the Luchas? Give it back to Hashem, hide it. Why break the luchas? It's it's like it's priceless. So Jews made the eagle. Okay, Moshe got upset, but don't break the luchas. <laughs> you can go tear a sefer burn a sefer even if you're upset. And this is much greater than a sefer Haluchas ma'isa lekimei ma'michtov. So the Meshachachma, the Ersamech, Reb Meisimcha Kayin of Dvinsk, who uh, also couldn't do vigada talavincha. By the way, I think he had a child, but child passed away. That's why he, uh, his sefer he named for himself Meshech Chachma. Meshech 
is Meir Simcha Koyen. And Ur Sameach, because his name was Meir Simcha. So he named his Sefer on Rambam Ur Sameach, Meir Simcha, and his Sefer on Chumash, Meshech Chachma. This was like his legacy. So he says something very special. He says that he re- Moshe realized that the Jewish people were not Teufus, a Yisoyed in Yiddishkeit. They still kept on turning Hashem into an image. This image, that image. Now it's the Luchas. And therefore they made an Egel Hazav. So the Meshach says, Moshe broke the Luchas. Moshe was telling Kalei Hashem does not have an image. Nothing is holy in Yiddishkeit. The only thing that's holy is what Hashem says is holy. We don't worship Luchas. We don't worship a Sevetoyna. We don't worship Tefillin. We don't worship a Shul. We don't worship any mitzvah. We don't say, this is the mitzvah. This is it. No. You can break the Luchas. The only thing that's holy is what Hashem wants from me. Sometimes he wants whole luchas, sometimes he wants broken luchas. You have to know what he wants. You have to know what he wants. If somebody needs to eat on Yom Kippur, because the doctor says, you have to eat on Yom Kippur, and the person says, I don't listen to the doctor. I don't eat on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. Jews had Mesidus Nefesh in Auschwitz to fast on Yom Kippur. I'm going to eat on Yom Kippur. What's the psak about this Jew? He violated Yom Kippur. <laughs> the same Rebbeinu Shalom who wants you to fast on Yom Kippur said, you eat on Yom Kippur. What, Yom Kippur? We don't worship Yom Kippur. Sorry, Yom Kippur is not holy. Hashem is holy. And Hashem doesn't have an image. Sometimes Hashem says fast on Yom Kippur. And some people, Hashem says, you eat on Yom Kippur. Somebody's not going to feed their little child, Yom Kippur, three o'clock in the afternoon. Yom Kippur? You're an achzer, you're cruel. Nothing <laughs> with Yom Kippur, it's not a shugana. You're a sadistic. Vigada Talavincha is an amazing mitzvah. If God wants me to do Vigada Talavincha, and when He doesn't want me to do Vigada Talavincha, it's not a mitzvah. We mean to understand Yiddishkeit doesn't have an image, what it looks like. What it looks like. If the Kohen Gadol in the middle of Yom Kippur in Kodesh HaKadoshim hears that there's somebody who needs Hatzalah and the Kohen Gadol is a Hatzalah member, what's the mitzvah? He's holding the Ketoris, he's holding the blood. But there's a Pikuach Nefesh, even a child, one day old, or a 119-year-old vegetable, what's the halacha? Kohen Gadol drops everything, runs out of Kodesh HaKadoshim, throws away the whole Avodah to go save this baby, Alasafik. maybe he could save it. Well, I don't understand, it's not nice. Yiddish guy doesn't have an image. This is what it looks like. It looks like what God wants it to look like. Now he wants whole luchas, and now he wants broken luchas. It's a beautiful vart, but it's not just a beautiful vart. Let's not get stuck in what things are supposed to look like. They're supposed to look like what they look like. Now, we all want, we should be able to fulfill the Vigadat Levincha. It's such a simcha. It's such a beautiful thing. And, and hopefully the right moment, everybody will be able to fill that mitzvah. But when a person is not able to fill that mitzvah, don't feel your Pesach is not a Pesach. Why? Because it's not the same way my sister does Pesach, or my brother does Pesach, or my aunt does Pesach. Pesach is not holy. The Seder is not holy. Vigadatil Levincha is not holy. Hashem is holy. 
And Hashem doesn't have a definition. Don't make pictures of what beautiful Yiddishkeit is. For this person, is exactly the mitzvah. And for this person, it's supposed to be a different Pesach. I told you, what does Esther's Pesach look like? She's a great woman. What did her Pesach look like? She was hanging out with two drunkards drinking Yayin Nesach. Why? I don't mean Yayin Nesach, Yayin Shnesach, but I mean Goyesha wine, Stam Yehinam. Why? Because she had a different mission. She had a different shlichus. She wasn't upset about her Pesach. She had a beautiful Pesach. You know how I know? Because we're here today. If Esther would have come onto the Zoom and Esther would have said, it's not Pesach. None of us would be here today. We would all be dead. Because Esther had a different shlichus. We're here today. So it's important to understand. Don't feel bad about your Pesach. You're doing exactly what Pesach is supposed to be doing. Remember, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Moshe Rabbeinu, you think celebrated Pesach? Yeah. Did he have Vigadatulavincha by the Seder? No. You know why? His kids were in Midian. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do Vigadatulavincha either. <laughs> and he also had Pesach. Tulabavich Rebbe got Pesach. Moshe Rabbeinu got Pesach. The Satmeruvad got Pesach. The Baisisrol had got Pesach. The Chazoynish had got Pesach. The Belzeruv had got Pesach. Did you hear all the names I just said? I'll say them again. Moshe Rabbeinu and Mitznaim had Pesach. The Bavitch Rebbe had Pesach. The Chazoynish had Pesach. The Satmerov Rabbeinu Yoel had Pesach. The Belzeruv Rabbanan had Pesach. You know the common denominator of all these people? None of them could do Vigada Talavincha. And I'm sure it was painful. I'm sure it was painful for every one of them. I'm sure. But each of them illuminated Klal Yisrael. You know why? Because they didn't look at themselves as nebach, losers, victims. They asked themselves, what is my opportunity at this moment? And how many spiritual children did they inspire? Not biological children, unfortunately. None of them. They didn't have children. When the Satmirov had a daughter, she passed away. The Beis Yisrael had children, they were killed. Chazanish never had children. Lubavitch Rebbe never had children. Reb Aaron Belzer had children, five children, they were murdered by the Nazis. He passed away without children. The Belzerov Schlitter is a nephew. Then the Reb Aaron tried, he got remarried, but never had a child afterwards. He passed away in 1957. I'm just... I'm not comparing anybody to anybody else. I'm not comparing anybody to the Belzeruv and to the Satmeruv and to the Baisis Rol of Ger and to the Chazanish and to the Lubavitch Rebbe and to the Pchayim Moiser. He also passed away without... He had a daughter who died and the Meshach. I'm not comparing anybody to anybody else. Of course not. I'm saying that all these people, they served Hashem understanding that I need to do what I need to do. This is my calling, and I can't compare myself to other people. And Pesach doesn't look a certain way. It looks what it's supposed to look like based on the Rebbeinu not based on my or your expectations, or Chaim Yankel, or Sprintz's, or Zundel Schmetel's expectations. This is my short answer to your question. I'm spending the first three days with my husband and his family. Then I'm traveling by myself to my family. Please do not judge me. My husband has not been well enough to travel and I have to see my family. I have to go myself. How can my Pesach be more enjoyable? 
By the in-laws, everything is about the grandkids, nothing else. How do I communicate that I'm not interested in 10 renditions of Manishtana, as well as all the kids showing off? We haven't been together for Zdarim for 12 years altogether. It's going to be very, very hard. Yes. Uh, It's hard, it's hard. It's emotionally hard. That's a given. Nothing is... I don't think I could say anything to take that away. But I want to just introduce a thought. And again, I introduce it with sensitivity and empathy. You're a mature person. You have been through a lot. If you're going to the Seder of your in-laws, for them it may be all about their grandkids. So try to say to yourself, listen, if the right thing for us is to go to the Seder of my in-laws, I'm going to try to make the best out of the situation. And you know what? Baruch Hashem, they have grandchildren and they could celebrate their grandchildren. And there's going to be a lot of renditions of the Manishtana. And turn it into something where you and your wife could maybe even make a little humor out of it. Meaning it's going to be there and they're going to keep on showing off their grandkids. And part of you is going to say, get me out of this place. I can't deal with it. But if you can prepare for it emotionally and realize there are going to be moments of pain. But could you also say, you know, thank God my in-laws have all these grandkids and they're celebrating Pesach and they worked very hard for this moment and I could be happy for them. And is it going to trigger some pain in you? Yes, it's going to trigger some pain in you. But realize it, that you're a human, but there's another part of you. I'm sure you're happy that your in-laws have 10 grandchildren. Would it make you really happier if your in-laws had no grandchildren whatsoever and had no children? Then you would have never met your husband. So we're thankful that our parents had children. That's why we're alive. That's why we can do what we can do. So before you go to the Seder, meditate a little bit and say, I'm going to go there. Everything is going to be about the grandkids. There may be some comments that are going to be very difficult for me. And prepare yourself. When that comment comes, you're going to breathe in five times And you're going to say, Hashem, just be here with me and hold my hands and allow me to be present emotionally and enjoy the beautiful things that they have and feel my pain and empathize with my pain and don't allow my pain to eclipse everything else that's beautiful in this house. But rather, Viktor Frankl said something very deep. You know, he was an Auschwitz survivor. And Viktor Frankl said, between stimuli and response, there's always a space. In that space, human freedom lives. In other words, something is going to happen at the Seder. It's going to trigger you. It's going to trigger you. Before your response, there's a little space. That's where your freedom is. That's where you can choose how to respond. You can feel the trigger. You can be aware of the trigger. You can almost see what's happening in your system. See it, watch it, observe it, and then realize you are not the trigger. The trigger is inside of you, but you're not the trigger. And then you could choose to respond from a place of love, of kindness, and of empathy for yourself and for the people around you. I hope this this can mean something. This can be helpful, at least on some level. Next question. All this is beautiful and nice and inspiring, But ultimately, when push comes to shove, it is so difficult to implement this. It's so difficult to live with it. I get so angry. I get so frustrated. I get so resentful. Yes, yes. I'm going to say again. 
we need to do the work before Pesach. Be aware of your triggers, observe them, and then you don't have to get sucked into them. Because what happens often in life is, things happen, we get very triggered, we want to scream, we want to run away, and that's normal. It's normal. You're a human being. Have compassion for what you're feeling. Don't criticize your emotions. But realize that you are not every emotion. You can choose how to respond from a place of inner empowerment. Remember, you're always one with Hashem. Your soul is always connected to God. You're a You're a piece of infinity. You're never a victim of your triggers. Your triggers are there just to teach you what to work on, what to be aware of. Your triggers are there to help you become a better person. But don't be a victim of them and therefore observe them. Watch them. Do a little breathing and grounding work and then respond from a place that will make you feel proud of who you really are. Is infertility a punishment for something I did? This is very, very tough on me. I'm feeling that it's a punishment. And a question. If Golis Mitzrayim was shortened because it was harder, and because it was so hard, Hashem made it shorter, am I lengthening my Nisayan by finding ways to be happy? Maybe I should be miserable. Maybe my life should be miserable, and then my torture will end. Is my friend who's always upset now pregnant? Maybe because she was so miserable, so she became pregnant. Maybe I'm supposed to be miserable and then Hashem will end my pain faster, just like he ended Golis Mitzrayim. Wow. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm not really laughing. Okay, so <laughs> I'm thinking how to answer this. So let me just make two points and answer both of your points very briefly. Point number one. I don't think there's anybody, certainly I cannot say to somebody that what you're going through is a punishment. It says in Perkeyavis already, We do not know the reason why good people suffer and why wicked people often prosper. And you know what? Avram Avinu asked why. Moshe Rabbeinu asked why. Eiv asked why. David HaMelech asked why. Yirmiyah Navi asked why. These were all great, great tzaddikim, great ma'aminim. Avram is roish l'ma'aminim. And he also said, He should have said, Hashem knows what he's doing. Everything is perfect. Everything is good. Moshe Rabbeinu was a big ma'amin. What do you mean? Because they sinned. Apparently it's not so simple. Just to say everything is because of punishments is really, really far from simple. Because we all know that there are people who are much worse than you. And they apparently don't have to deal with all of this. You know, so the question, good people suffer because they sinned and bad people, are they going to be punished in Olam Haba? And good people who don't get punished in Olam Haza, why are they not getting punished in Olam Haza? Because they are going to get punished in Olam Haba. Especially today, after thousands of years of suffering, we know that many of the things that happen have nothing to do with a person sinning. Nistarim Darke Hashem. Ata Yedeya Rozi Oilam. You know the secrets of the universe. Moshe Leib Sasevis said, The secrets of the Torah, there are some tzaddikim who know. The secrets of the Oilam, only you know. We don't know the reason for so many events. We really don't know. It's not because we don't know because we're dumb. Because Hashem is beyond the seichel of a person. 
Hashem is infinite. The Kotzke Rebbe said, Agot was yede tipes ruche ken fashtein vel ichnish dinin. Which means a God that every simple, he said it very sharply, but in English, a God that every frail, mortal, finite brain can understand, I'm not going to worship. Hashem completely transcends our brain because he created our brain. You know, you can't expect an ant to understand physics or to even understand how a computer works or to understand human conversation. Now, the relationship between an ant and a person is much closer than between us and Hashem. So it reaches a point we have to realize that so much of the pain in the world is completely beyond an understanding. Why? It's beyond why. The very question why is based on the human brain. We really don't know. We really don't know. But to blame yourself and to feel guilty, I'm the one who did it and I'm the one who's guilty. You have enough pain with infertility. To add that is completely unfair. Of course we should all try to improve. Of course I should make, and we should make a chesh ben nefesh And of course everything that a person adds in teyda and in avoyda and in gemilas chesodim and in avas yisrael, it creates more channels for brachas in this world. Obviously. But to sit and blame yourself because of an Aveira that you did when you were 16 years old, therefore you don't have children. And everybody else in your class, nobody else did an Aveira, only you. Come on. You think that makes sense? You think that's going to make you a better person, a better Jew? Of course, everybody, it's always good to improve. And as I said, every improvement in Ruchni is improves and opens up greater channels for Hashem's brachas. But not from a place of guilt and negativity. That's not acceptable. You know why? It's usually at Sasayetzer. The Yetzirah wants people to feel guilty and get depressed and wallow in the pain of guilt. It's not enough that you have to deal with everything you have to deal with. Now you have to deal with guilt also. I'm sorry. That comes from the Yetzirah. Now, this idea... That if you are not happy, you're going to suffer much longer is a Christian idea. It's not a Jewish idea. It's completely not a Jewish idea. It's a Christian idea that God wants you to be miserable and God wants you to suffer. And if you're going to be happy, you're going to suffer longer. And because your friend was miserable, therefore she's pregnant. It's mamish, not a Jewish idea. I don't know where it came from. But this concept that if we're miserable, somehow Hashem is happy. I want to ask you a question. If you had a child, Be'ezer Hashem, you'll have a child, and your child is happy, are you going to say, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I'm going to destroy this child because he's happy. Oh, your child is miserable. Baruch Hashem, now I'm happy. What would you call a mother who feels this way? You would call her a sadistic, cruel, crazy mother. So how and why do we really feel that Hashem is this way? Don't you realize how horrible our religion becomes when we think about this? And that's why so many people, Yiddishkeit is so destructive for them. Because they imagine Hashem to be a monster. I hate to say this. People constantly ask this to me. And I say, forget about anything else. Just make Hashem like your mother, like your father, who's not crazy, who's not a monster. People really think that when people are miserable, Hashem says, oh, thank God, they're miserable. Now they can have a baby. They're happy. Ooh, that's terrible. No baby for them. Forget it. Where did we get this idea from? This is such a horrible way of looking at Judaism. Now you ask about Galos Mitzrayim. The idea of Galos Mitzrayim is a whole different idea. It's not that Hashem wants Jews to be tortured, and if they're tortured, we're going to take away Golos, and if they're not tortured, it means that Golos Mitzrayim was supposed to achieve something. 
It was a transformation in the Jewish heart and in the Jewish psyche. And sometimes people can get transformed through this experience or through another experience. Sometimes people go through things and their journey could be much faster because of what they go through. But to say that this is the concept that God wants you to be miserable and then he's going to give you a child, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't see that to be a normal idea. That's, that's, that's in Judaism. It's, I'm allergic to it. I'm sorry. And I'm allergic to it for good reason. And I think we have to get out of that mindset. You, if you could be happy, that's amazing. It's a machzadik used to say, Tracht good, vetzayn good. Ivdu es Hashem besimcha. Simcha pirates gather. Fakert, when a Jew is happy, you're doing a great mitzvah and it opens up channels. When a person is in a state of happiness and in a good mood, it breaches through boundaries, it creates miracles, it opens up opportunities. Reb Simcha Binim of Shizcha once said, unbelievable, it's what he says, it's printed, I think, in Sikh Sarfi Kaidesh, I saw it. So in one of the Swarim. He said that, and I'm going to finish with this thought. He said, why is it he lived... Rebsim Chabinim of Shizcha lived in the 18th century and in the early 19th century. And he said, why is it, he said, this is what he writes, that the Chofshim, the, the secular Jews in, in, in Leipzig, he was in Leipzig in Germany, many of them have so much harchava. And the Yireim, the Frumayidin in his time, so many of them are fakvetched and their life is so difficult. You know what he says? He says, because they're besimcha. And even though their simcha comes from hululus and shtusim, but because they're in a state of simcha, it's ma'irir chsodim and rachamim. And he says, because we, we have so much anxiety, even though we blame it on Yerushamayim, so therefore we close up the channels. It's an incredible idea. So he says, people who are from, and they're full of anxiety, because of that, they have such difficult lives. And they, even though they're frivolous, that's what he writes, their simcha comes from shtusim, but it opens up channels. So what I say to you is we have to try to put ourselves in positive moods with a good disposition, with good mutakait, and stop feeling that Hashem is trying to kill you and destroy you and oppress you and torture you. The Baal Shem Tev says Hashem loves every Jew more than parents love an only child who was born after they gave up hope. Everybody understands the simch of having such a child. A ben yachid shanoilad la'ezik nusam, says the Baal Shem Tev that pales in comparison to how much Hashem loves you. So we should try to, even though there's struggles, and we don't understand if Hashem loves me so much, just give me a child. Good question. I don't know the answer. But let that not take away from the truth that every person was conceived in love, and every soul is as precious to the Rebbeinu Shalom as a child, and much, much more than a Ben Yachid. And to when we say avas oilamahaftanu, it means avas oilamahaftanu, avarabba ahaftanu, nusach ashkenaz, nusach svard. Avas oilam beis Yisrael amcha ahafta, haboyche b'ami Yisrael ba'ava, ahafti eschem amar Hashem. The whole Pesach is about the endless ava, the endless love, the endless affection. Breathe in the love, internalize the love, try to experience love. It doesn't mean we understand, I don't understand a lot of things. But never ever doubt the love. And therefore the response ought to be always to try to go into a place of positivity and gut mutikait, which means a positive energy and a positive spirit. 
And may the Rebbeinu Shalom Taka be able to create all the opportunities that you shouldn't need lectures about this, but that life should be so incredibly amazing that Simcha should be the most natural, organic state for you. Question. We just had a procedure done. It was not successful. We thought it would be. How could we not be sad over Pesach? We're going to be by my in-laws. My sister-in-law is younger than us, and she has six children. They have what we want so badly. How will we not be sad on Pesach? Wow, 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 wow. There's going to be a sadness for you in you on Pesach. And you know what? Don't judge it. Don't fight it. I told you. When we have emotions, the last thing we want to do is criticize our emotions. Don't criticize your emotions. Don't delegitimize your emotions. Don't repress your emotions. Don't deny your emotions. Don't crush your emotions. Don't judge your emotions. Have rachmanis on your emotions. Have empathy. Like a rechem, like a womb. Talking about a womb transplant. The Maral says the word rachmanis, rachem, comes from the word rechem. A mother's womb. Be a womb, an empathetic container for your emotions. Yes, you had a procedure. It's very painful. Don't run away from that. You could feel the pain. You and your spouse can feel the pain. And just hold it. Just hold it. Don't judge it. Mamish, don't judge it. I cannot tell you how much healing comes when you can just be an empathetic womb for your pain. Peter Levine, he's the father of somatic, one of the fathers of somatic therapy. He said, trauma is not what happened to you. Trauma is what is right now stuck in your body. It's that which is stuck in your body because it doesn't have an empathetic witness. Don't let your pain get stuck in your body. Let it be and be a witness to it. Be empathetic to it. Midas harachamim. Don't judge it. And don't repress it. Don't say, Sapasnish. Nah, I have emuna. I don't have pain. That's not what emuna means. Emuna doesn't mean you don't have pain. Emuna means that my pain has meaning. Did you hear what I said? Emuna doesn't mean you don't have pain. Emuna means I have pain and Hashem is there too. Kam Even as I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't get terrified and intimidated. Not because I have no fear. I have fear, but I know that you're with me. Great people are not the people that don't have fear and don't have pain. Great people are the people who have fear and have pain, but they know how to live a life in which their fear and their pain do not control their lives. The more you have empathy for your pain, the more you'll be able to choose how to respond to your pain and ask yourself, what type of Pesach are we going to have? Are we going to have a Pesach which is all about the pain? Or are we are going to have empathy for our pain? And then we're going to choose to celebrate Yom Tif because we have each other. That's a big thing. Because we have Hashem. Because we have close people who support us. And because our lives are valuable. Our lives have infinite value. In terms of your sister having six children, yes. And that's going to bring up a lot of things. It's going to bring up a lot, a lot of things. And you're going to feel that. And you're going to feel the pain. And then you're also going to allow yourself to feel something else. You know what? Would it really make you happier if your sister didn't have any children? Really, really? 
You know not. So there's a part of you that's jealous. There's a part of you that says, just give me one. I'm not asking for six. Give me one. Give me two. Give me one. Echad mi yideya. Just give me one. And the answer is mi yideya. Echad mi yideya. I don't know. Mi yideya mleis. And when you feel empathy for yourself, you'll also be able to feel empathy for your sister. And you know what? I want to tell you something very special. Sometimes what an uncle and an aunt can give a nephew and a niece is unbelievable. Just like the Gemara says, You know, Moshe didn't have so much nachas from his kids, Gershom. He left, whatever, it's a complicated story. But Moshe taught Aaron's children, so it's Kilu Yaldai. Sometimes what an uncle and an aunt can do for a nephew and a niece is amazing. Don't underestimate that. You know, take, I spoke before about the Satmir Rebbe, right? How many children did he have? He had a daughter who passed away. But how many hundreds of thousands of children did he touch? Take the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I told you, take the Gere Rebbe, the Chazanish, the Belzer Rebbe. They built Klal Yisrael after the Holocaust, together with other G'dayli Yisrael. How did they do it? They did it because they realized that they can touch people in their own unique way. And how many people did they give birth to? Beruchnius and Begashmius through their brachas and their tefillas and their eitzes. So what I want to say to you is feel the pain. And when you feel the pain, then ask Hashem, show me the opportunity here. Make a choice. And the choice may be, you may be giving these, you, you may be, maybe have an idea. Maybe, if you could. You and your husband plan how you're going to give these special six children special attention. In a way, their parents are going to be overwhelmed. But you're like an uncle and aunt. You're a little further away. Maybe give them the time of their life. And I, uh, maybe, maybe, and I, I'm not here to challenge you, chas v'shalom, but I'm asking you, is it possible, make up with your husband, this Pesach night, we're going to give undivided attention to these kids, and we're going to have a great time with them. We're going to laugh with them, and joke with them, and tell them stories, and give them treats, and we're going to have an amazing time with them. And you know what? Maybe you're going to have an unbelievable time. Let's try it. Let me know how it goes. Email me. Can we speak, question, can we speak to children that we don't have yet? We want to be Mekayim Vigada Talavincha. Can we tell our children about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and our Tfilis? Or is this a manipulative prayer? Does it even make sense? Wow, what a beautiful idea. Speak to the child that wasn't born yet. Speak to the Neshama. I like it. I never heard about it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful idea. I don't think it's manipulative. You want to speak to the souls that are connected to you that were not born yet. And you want to tell them about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's a beautiful idea. That's very special. Very special. I think I like that idea very much. Very, very nice. How do I deal with negative feelings towards my younger siblings who have kids or are pregnant? Excellent question. So my previous answer, I think, addresses it at least somewhat. I want to ask another question. When things are the hardest, on my worst days, I am so much more connected with Hashem. I have to say the truth. My tefillahs are so much deeper. Baruch Hashem, I'm a positive person. I'm able to get back to myself quickly, even after big challenges. How do I channel the positivity into meaningful tefillahs? Beautiful question. 
And the answer is, imagine a marriage, right, that's going through a crisis. And when it's going through a crisis, you get very close to each other. And then the crisis is over. Don't get far from each other. Now you have to learn how to celebrate with each other, feast with each other. The same is true with the Rebbeinu Shalayla. The hard times are there maybe to take away our egos and to take away our cover-up so that we could connect deeply. But once things are good, now is the ikir, now is the celebration. The objective of life is not misery. The objective of life is simcha, intimacy, oneness, dveikas. On Pesach we read Shir Hashidim. It's all about the dveikas, the joy. The distance is only to bring more dveikas. So that's the ikir. The ikir is to learn how to celebrate the relationship. Question. Me and my wife, we often have questions, especially on Yom Tif. We go to people's parties, we go to people's events, we go to gatherings. One part of us feels, why put ourselves into such complicated situations? Why go out for a meal? Don't see other people. We know what's going to happen. Let's sit ourselves at home. But when we sit ourselves, we get down. It makes me realize how different I am from others. Most people are with family. We are with ourselves. Should we lock ourselves in our home and make the best out of it, together with the Rebbeinu Shalom? Or should we go to family and become uncomfortable? Could you give us some smart advice? <laughs> Thank you for trusting me that I can give you smart advice, but I'm afraid to be a, let you down. I don't have such smart advice. What I'm going to tell you is, this is a great question. The decision should be made with you and your wife really connecting in a very deep way and letting yourself feel all the emotions and then you'll make a good decision. Perhaps you want to split it up. Perhaps some meals you want to be yourself or you could just be open with each other and connect in a very deep way. But you also don't want to be isolated. I'm sure you love your parents. I'm sure you have great brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces and you want to fabrain. So, Trust yourself. Sometimes you want to go out. Sometimes you don't want to go out. In all of our lives, you know, some of us, sometimes you want to be social. And sometimes you just want to crawl into your own little couch or little bed with your safer, with your book, or with your spouse, whatever it is. Trust yourself. And you can have both. And you know what? If you're going out, it's going to be uncomfortable. But maybe it could be less uncomfortable if you know exactly what you're going into. As I said before... Get that mental checklist in your brain. Realize people are going to make comments and sometimes little kids may say, when are you having a baby? Are you pregnant? But you know what? She's your little cute niece. She doesn't mean bad. You're going to smile and you're going to say, Be'ezer Hashem, one day I'm going to have my baby and you could move on. So maybe things don't have to be uncomfortable when you know what to expect and you prepare for it. And you're confident inside. Remember, people only make us uncomfortable if they trigger something that's inside of us. The Baal Shem Tov said, what I see in other people is a mirror of me. Which means, if I'm feeling something because of you, it's because I'm feeling it because of me. So if you really work out your emotions with your husband internally, it's going to be much easier to be around people even if they don't always say the perfect thing. I hope you understood what I just said. I had a miscarriage right after Pesach last year. But I knew before Pesach there was no heartbeat. The trauma and the emotions keep coming up. 
I am miserable. I am dreading Yom Tif because this happened right after Pesach last year, but a whole Pesach, I knew it's happening. I have two kids, Baruch Hashem, 14 and 8-year-old, and an 8-year-old girl, Kenai and Hara. I'm so happy that I called and I listened in. You gave me so much inspiration to be happy and push forward. Thank you so, so much for this opportunity. That means a lot, and thank you for sharing what you shared. And at Shetaka B, I'll lift a Pesach for you, and a Freilich Pesach for you, and for all of us. And I just want to say to all of us, Question, what can I do? I feel hate. I feel hate. I hate my younger siblings who have kids. I hate them. Wow. Another question. How do I connect to my spouse over Pesach while we are both triggered so badly and each of us handles our emotions so differently? Okay, okay. I'm going to answer the second, I'm going to answer the first question and then the second question, and I think I'm going to let you go to sleep. (laughs) Question number one, hate. Do you really hate your siblings, or is your hate a way of avoiding your pain? I think you need help with somebody you trust who can help you process your emotions. Very often, hate is a secondary emotion. What I mean by that is, it's covering up your real emotion. It may be that you don't hate. It's like anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. That's why Kol HaKoyes, the Chazal, were very not fond of it because it's covering up the truth. When you're angry at your spouse, it's usually you're in pain. When I hate somebody, it's because I'm in so much pain. But it's too hard for me to say I'm just in pain. So it's just a little easier emotion in which I protect myself from my vulnerability. I just say I hate you. And then I don't have to deal with my pain. I think you may need a little more help. Maybe with a good therapist or a good Rebetzin or a good Rav or a good Mashpia or a good friend or a good confidant or a good trauma therapist or a good healer, or just somebody who really gets you to be able to work through your emotions. Because my hunch is, I don't know you, my hunch is that beneath the pain, beneath the hate is just a lot, a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain, and you have to acknowledge it. I don't know that you hate your siblings and you hate their kids. I doubt it. Maybe, but I don't, I don't think so. You're just in so much pain. And when you see your siblings and you see their kids, all your pain comes up. And instead of dealing with your pain and acknowledging it, your coping mechanism is to start hating, and it avoids you dealing with your pain. Maybe as a child, you have never learned to make peace with pain, to embrace pain, to be comfortable with pain. Maybe you learned that you're not allowed to feel pain. Everything is good. So instead of pain, you're feeling hate. I want to encourage you to feel your pain. Vayitz aku el Hashem. You remember when it comes to uh, Golis Mitzrayim, the story of Pesach? Pesach, Darizel says, let your mouth speak. One of the processes of Golis Mitzrayim that brought to Gula is, Vayitzaku Bnei Yisrael, Vanitzak el Hashem alakeya v'yisena, Vayishma Hashem eskeleinu. 
They cried out with pain. You're a lot of feel pain. You're a lot of feel pain. And the more you let yourself feel pain, the less you will have to feel hate. As I explained in the previous answer. I hope this makes a little sense. If not, perhaps you could speak to somebody who's real expert in this area how to deal with the hate. It's very important to deal with it. But I don't think it's real hate. I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. Maybe I'm wrong. The next question, how to connect your, with your wife when you're triggered so differently? Great question. The Badishavah's Vart, Kedusha Slevi Parshas Va'eri. You know the word from the Badishavah? Moiradik. In Torah, this holiday is called Chag HaMatzis. We call it Pesach. Why? The says, a good husband is in awe of the fact that he got such an amazing wife. And a great wife is so appreciative that she got such an amazing husband. And each one feels so grateful for the other person. In a bad marriage, I'm like, you're lucky you have me. And she's like, you're lucky you have me. In a good marriage is, wow, I'm so lucky to have you. And the other one says, I'm so lucky to have you. So the Baditshiva says, listen to this. When Hashem speaks about the holiday, what is it? Chaga Matzas. Look at my wife. For a month, they clean the house from chametz. They get rid of all the chametz. And they bake matzah with so much sensitivity and empathy and carefulness and meticulousness. Chaga Matzas. Wow. Look what they do for this Yom Tov. And when the Jewish people speak about the Yom Tov, they say Pesach, Uposach Hashem. We speak about Hashem, He leaped over the homes, and Hashem speaks about us. This is the recipe of connecting to your wife on Pesach, or your husband. Tune in to her emotions. They don't have to be your emotions. Pesach is Hashem. Matzah is us. Hashem speaks about us, we speak about Him. Tune in to your wife's emotions. Just listen. Show interest. Be empathetic. You don't have to agree. You don't have to feel. But that's her experience. You love her. Just be there for her. Tune in. Listen. Connect. Even if you don't see it the same way. But respect the fact that she sees it that way. And the other way around. Do it with your husband. Just be here for each other. You don't have to agree. You don't have to feel the same way. You may feel this from your mother-in-law in a very weird way. My mother-in-law judges me. I'm not coming back here. And your husband doesn't feel that way. Or the other way around. That's fine. Just support each other. And let everyone process their emotions. And again, be an empathetic witness. Rechem. And then we could release it. We don't have to hold on to it. And then we could make choices that come from our more empowered, deeper, inspired, divine, infinite self. Sending you all the love and the blessings. Chazak, chazak, v'niz chazek. You're in our thoughts and prayers. So the Rebbeinu Shalolam, Aichgeb ben Yedneinam, Alichtekin, Kosherin, Freilichin. A time in which each of us can go out of all those blockages, Mitzrayim, the Mitzarim, all those blockages that keep us down and make us believe that we are victims and we're small, wretched people. To be able to experience your true selves. What are your true selves? Your true selves is each and every one of you, each and every one of us is a conduit for Ein Saif, each and every one of us is an ambassador of Hashem in this world. 
an ambassador of love, light, hope, joy, healing, authenticity, integrity, truth, wisdom, and ge'ula. When I can open myself up to the fact that I'm an ambassador, I become a channel. You become a channel for infinite life to channel through you without it getting stuck in all those spaces of Mitzrayim. If we can open ourselves up to become a channel and realize that right now, this is how I am a channel, exactly the way my life is now, I can become a channel. And when you become that channel, you expand. And when you expand, your whole life is experienced in a deeper way. It doesn't mean there's no pain, there's a lot of pain. But the pain doesn't get stuck in the system. Pain doesn't get me stuck in it. I don't get entangled and stuck. I let the pain travel through like a pipe. You know, when you have a pipe, you don't want the pipe to get plugged because then the water and the schmutz get stuck in the pipe. We're all pipes. We're channels. We're kalim for the Rebbein Neshalaylam in this world. But we're siloinois. We're pipes. And therefore, we're channels. You don't want the channel to get stuck. The pain goes through and the joy goes through. And we can experience it. And we can allow ourselves to become channels of whatever the emotion is. But don't get stuck in it. Remember, you're always connected to the source of infinity. And may each and every one of us be here for ourselves. Be here for each other. Lift up each other and just embrace each other. And be able to celebrate our unique opportunity to fulfill our mission right now. And also to open ourselves up to all the potential miracles that each of us can be channels of. And may you all experience it. Bimheira biameno. Amen. Thank you. We don't want you back at the eight time. We want that the next next year eight time should be only me and Rabbi Rosen asking why nobody came on. Right? This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.